Welcome back to the Sworn Testimonies podcast. This is Kiara, and I am interviewing my dear friend today, Melani Wellback. Say what's up. Ooh, hey, y'all. What's good? Hey, oh, all the, she got all the personality. Just wait. Um, on this podcast, we promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We only have one rule. Melani, um, I will be asking you questions. You have to give me truthful answers, but you are allowed to plead the fifth one time if I ask you a question you don't want to answer. Let's get into it. How is your heart today? Heart is heavy. Mm. Well, I appreciate you being willing to sit and chat even with a heavy heart. I know that's not always easy. Yes, and I appreciate you. Um opening up your platform to share with me. <laughs> and, you know, before we get into some deeper conversation, I want to give people the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. So can you share just, you know, who are you and what are you passionate about? Yes. So who am I? First, foremost, and always, I am a child of God. Um, that's the best answer, most confident answer I can ever give. Um, I am a graphic designer and artist. I love art. I love music. Um, I'm actually going to start um, up again on my violin. I'm a wife and a mother who, fathead little boy who I love more than anything in the world. <laughs> the cutest little son. Yes, he is filled with the Holy Spirit early. I know he is. He loves, he'll pray over me. He'll kiss me whenever I say I'm about to start talking to God whatever reason he comes and kisses me and shows me affection you you had a failed suicide attempt a few years back is that right oh father i wouldn't even i guess yeah <laughs> uh, what happened can you share with us what happened i was already battling the funny thing is i've been battling oh severe anxiety for a long time and then it led to depression as i started focusing on um I had an ex-boyfriend who I was uh in love with we were dated for over four years and um I just I loved him so much and I love hard I know everybody loves to say I love hard but I I just I give you everything you know and so um uh he was I ended up I always tell people this is the story of how I accidentally became a side chick because I had no idea he was cheating and um he had someone else and I didn't know. And so we were not friends on social media. So I had my cousin. Something just didn't let me sleep at night. You know, I thought I was going to throw up every night. And so I had my cousin who was friends with him on social media. She saw all these pictures of the girl he had been parading around town with. He had introduced her to his mom. I mean, everybody. Mm-hmm. And I was so embarrassed. You know, I was so hurt. I was like, what is happening? Like, it was just embarrassing, and I and the shock of it really put me down a very terrible path. So much so that um, he used to come up to me and tell me all these like, I tried to be okay, like I tried to remain friends with him. Um, to be honest, I was still sleeping with him, and I just I this was my what I call my rock bottom phase in my life because at this point I did not have any self respect. I just wanted him. And mm-hmm. it, it makes me sad that he didn't want me for more than just sex. 
anything else besides sex. He did not want for me. And I couldn't figure it out. And I thought like, well, maybe if after we have sex, we had a conversation, you know, he would see that I'm great, you know? <laughs> um, it was a very low, 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 low level of my life. And so, um, I remember, um, he would come to me and he would tell me things about his success. You know, he would volunteer things to me. He would say, Oh, you know, I just made Forbes 30 under 30. This stuff was a lie. You know, it wasn't true. Or, oh, yeah, this, you know, oh, he invited me to this award show that he threw. And he had these people on the on the microphone, and they were talking about him. And they were, like, glorifying this guy. They were like, some white guy got, he could probably edit that out. <laughs> some guy got on the microphone and was just, like crying about how great this guy, this man was, my ex was to him. And all these people had these wonderful stories. And I sat there bitter, you know, I was so bitter. And I was angry because I was like, if they only knew this man is a liar, he's a cheater, he's manipulative, he doesn't care about me. And I had poured so much into him financially. I mean, I gave him everything, everything. I, used, I was a student in high in college. And so I gave this man thousands of dollars. I just, whatever he needed. I, loved it. I think a lot of women can probably relate to that. You know, as you mentioned, oh. that feeling of loving hard and then the embarrassment that follows when that love isn't reciprocated or when you find out that that man has another woman, that's hard to deal with. It's embarrassing. And the worst part is he made it seem like I was crazy. And to be honest, if you had left, if he had left my life and just said, I want to be with somebody else, I would have walked away easy. But because I found it in such a way that was like shocking and it wasn't fair and it wasn't right and it, it didn't make sense and it it literally like it just it it couldn't have been me I, I didn't want to believe it mm. because I was like yeah I mean he would tell me he would I remember on my on my birthday this man was like okay I'm done talking to her I'm done I won't talk to her anymore and I was like okay. As he's telling me he's done talking to her, she calls his phone. <laughs> oh my and her picture popped up, and I was like, that was her. And he told me, no, it was a client. I said, how many other clients' pictures do you save in your phone? And he was okay with her. And I was like, even on my birthday, like, you know, mm-hmm. it was, it just, it was, I, I couldn't get a break. It was, it was very obvious that we, he was just not going to respect me. And so, um, it started to affect me physically because I would get sick and I would get nauseous, staying up all night, stressing, stressing and focusing and, and just giving all of my mental space to why not me and what are they doing right now? And he's probably cheating and he's probably telling her this and he's probably, I mean, just all these what ifs and probably's and feeding myself this, you know, this terrible, like, just these thoughts. And mm-hmm. so, uh, I had, um, I had, um, I just gotten tired of it and I got tired of feeling like a loser. You know, here I was with this baby by myself. I had my son and um, I got pregnant in high school and I had him about nine days later. Before, nine, I had him and then nine days later I started my first day of college. And so I didn't have time to rest. I didn't have time to break. I didn't have time to think. I was already going through postpartum depression with him. I was over my own life. And seeing this man who broke my heart, who tore me down, who embarrassed me publicly and had other people convinced that I was this crazy psycho chick when really I just didn't know what was going on, I was I felt like a loser. Mm-hmm. And 
I was like, I'm done. I am not living like my son. And it's so funny because when you're down on yourself, you know, the enemy, he loves to just, I call him, I call him my, um, it's like that. It's like a really ghetto hype man, like a really ghetto chick. So, yeah, girl. And that's what he sounds like in my ear when I am down on myself. And he did this and that. And that's what you can't let you, you know. That's what it's, it's just so ratchet and it just hypes you up. You know, they talk about toxic friends who, when you're like down in a season and then just make it worse because they're like, <laughs> they almost convince you to do the things you're not supposed to do. And that's what that was. That was like, it was like me and the enemy were partnering on taking my life out. You know, it was like, literally, you know, and, and you're over here with the baby by yourself raising this kid. And you're in college, and you're going through depression, and you're dealing with this and that, and this man doesn't even want you, and he wasted your time and your son's time too, and you didn't have a dad in your life, and your mom doesn't like you. Yeah, I mean the voices. You know what I mean? They just wouldn't mm-hmm. stop. And and the, what I will say is that the enemy has a way of taking your reality and and trying to make it, and trying to make his spin on it the truth, mm-hmm. because he can say. Oh, and you didn't have a father in your life. There was rejection. That man did not love you. He did not care about you. And the only sentence will be that, that true in that is that I didn't have a physical father. Mm-hmm. So he'll take out one fact and, and add a bunch of, you know, his details on it. And now he spins something and it sounds like fact because he added that one fact. You know what I mean? And so those things were true. I was raising a child by myself. I was going through postpartum depression. I was getting publicly embarrassed. I was losing my self-esteem. All that stuff. There was no room for redemption. There was no room for reconciliation. It was nothing but condemnation. And so I got, uh, um, I got in the car and I was like, I am done. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I, I just, I'm a loser. And I felt like the best person to raise my son was not me. Mm. So and I and I believe that my mom would take great care of him because she raised all five of us by herself, and I made the decision that I was going to and my <laughs> and I will be because I'm going to be very very honest with you very honest with you. Um, my son was in the car when I was trying to make this decision. Wow. And the voice in my head that told me that and my leg convinced me that he would survive if I did it. If you take your life, he will survive. Just you won't. And I, I was like, okay, that's cool. Like, yeah, that's what I want anyway, right? And so um, it was. It, the funny thing is, my son, as, as I mentioned, he, I feel like he has the Holy Spirit already. I pray, I pray every day for early conviction, you know, in his life. And so um, when he was a little baby, he was at that time he was about three, maybe, and he. I had left um, this woman who at the time was my pastor. She ended up being not a good person, but, and I had told her that I wanted to kill myself. And she laughed. And she was like, oh, and Jesus, man, you're just stressed out. You know, she, she just said a prayer and she completely did not understand me at all. And that was when I decided that, oh, yeah, it's definitely time. <laughs> wow. And, um, yeah, she she wasn't help, and I and I think that was my last attempt to kind of just reach out for help. You know, I was like, please, like I you don't understand, I'm just suffering. And she didn't, she wasn't helpful, and so I left her house with my son in the car, and um, I heard my son. I swear, I swear to you, care. I am not making this up. I was never lied about this. 
he said, guard your peace. Mm. And I looked around. <laughs> I turned around like, what? And he just kept playing with his toy. He never said it again. And I heard him say, guard your peace. And it scared me because I was like, "What? Well, first of all, how are you forming sentences? <laughs> but I was like, oh, my God. And so long story short, that was the night. That was the same night. We got in the car. He said that. And I drove and I was on the freeway. And there was an 18-wheeler truck that I was going to slam my car into mm. and end my life because I didn't want to. And so as I got closer and closer to the truck, I'm trying to match their speed so that I can put, like, touch their truck. Touch, I wanted my car to touch their wheels at the same time. And I get closer and closer. My heart starts beating faster and faster. And I'm, I'm in my mind. I'm, I'm trying to come to peace with what I'm about to do. And all of a sudden, my hands freeze. And they will not come off the wheel. And my hand, my, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't inch my way to the right anymore. Mm. It just stayed. And I just, next thing you know, my lane ended and I'm off the freeway. Wow. And I and I just pull over and I am just crying and I am crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, what was that? You know, <laughs> what was that? Um, but yes, that was, um, that was the first time that I had come close to wanting to do that. And I had already had a plan. I had already had a decision and it was going to happen. And something would not let my hands inch. Like literally it was probably a few inches away from just doing it. Um, and then a few years later, something else triggered me, and I um, I got in my car, and I decided that I'm doing this for real this time. And I was in my car, and I was driving around at like, uh, it was like 12 o'clock at night, and I was trying to find something to crash into. And I, um, I remember looking around and seeing other people's cars, and I... <laughs> Here I am about to come myself, and I'm thinking, like, I don't want them to wake up tomorrow morning and see that their car is smashed. Mm. That was my thinking. And so I found this dumpster, and I was like, perfect. This is what I'm going to, I'm going to just run at full speed, 100 miles an hour into this, and, and I'm going to take my own life. And I had, and the funny thing was, I had my seatbelt on. And I remember hearing the enemy say, you need to take your seatbelt off. And it was like I was taking complete direction from the devil himself. And I took my seatbelt off. And uh, this is the second time this and so I said, um, I, I told myself, there's, there's one thing, you, if you're going to kill yourself, there's one thing you need to come to pass with, you need to come to peace with, and it's that God is still good. That your suffering does not mean God is not good anymore. And I, um, I um, you know, and that was, that was my belief. And I told God, I apologize, you know, I repent, I said, Lord, you know, I've given this life everything I could. I've given this mental illness. I've battled. I've fought. I've given my, I've, I've put in a good fight. And I just need you to know that I love you and that you have nothing to do with this. You know, you're still good. I still believe every piece of me believes that you are a good God. And then, um, yeah, I, what, what happened with that is that my husband, I blocked my husband because I didn't want him find me. I knew he knew my location and I didn't want him to talk me out of it. And so I blocked his phone number and I drove away from the house. And to be a hundred percent honest, I don't know how he found me, but he found me. Wow. And he jumped out of the car and he jumped into mine and he grabbed my car keys and he pulled them out of my car. 
and we just cried for hours and hours and hours. And my best friend pulls up, she starts crying. She's singing and we're praying and my husband is praying and warring, going to war over my life and I'm in the car completely and utterly broken. Just dead inside. No, the best way I can describe it is that there, what I tell people is that there was no color in my life. It was like, I don't know if you watch the Powerpuff Girls, but you know when that clown comes and turns everything black and white and bubbles have to color everything back to life? Yes, I remember. It's, that's what, and the love makes the world go round. That little, <laughs> um, that's what it felt like. It felt like black and white. And the next day, I had to get up and take the kids to school. <laughs> it was like Me, life really care. It just doesn't life care. Stop. Yeah, life doesn't stop. It's not like our responsibilities and obligations are just like, all right, you're having a tough time. We're all just gonna sit back and let you deal. You still have to wake up and deal with you know, taking your son to school and washing clothes and paying bills. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. And whether you leave it or not, it's going to go on. Thank you, first of all, for sharing your story. I know suicide is not something we like to talk about. Uh, when it happens, we say, you know, I had no idea or I wish they would have told somebody, but like you mentioned, the women that you told that, you know, kind of laughed and prayed it off, you know, we just get really uncomfortable having the conversation. But I think it's so important to have the conversation. I was reading the other day that there are over 3,000 suicide attempts every day in America. Um, and nearly one out of four Americans struggles with depression in some capacity. And there's such a stigma attached. For you, what do you think led you to believe that suicide was the only way out of your pain? I always tell people this. People who are suicidal, it's not that they hate their life, it's that they want the pain to stop. Mm -hmm. And the sooner we grasp that idea that they are, there is pain happening and not, oh, well, that's how they chose to live, there's, an, there's just something that needs to stop. That's it. And when it doesn't stop, it frustrate you and you'll do anything to make it stop and you believe in your mind it's like quitting life gives you this false sense of peace like can you imagine your life a life not suffering oh yeah you're not even alive you don't have to deal with this you know it's it just it makes you feel you have this false terrible belief this comfort that you are Oh, in a good, like, if you do this to yourself, you're going to not suffer anymore. And that promise of, of peace, essentially, or wanting to have peace or quiet in your mind coming from you killing yourself is what people, in my opinion, will go after. There's just, a, it's just a desire to make the pain stop by any means because you're desperate and because you've tried to live with it. You've tried to have, you know, push forward. You've tried medication, whatever it is that you've tried, and it's whatever's not working. It's like I'm running out of answers here. And so for me, that was that was the solution that came up with. You got to end this by any means because it will drive you crazy if you don't. And that was like that was the way out was quitting altogether, quitting life. I didn't believe that I could be healed. I didn't believe that there was a way out. I didn't believe that. I didn't even see a life where this didn't exist. It just didn't. It was just like, this is my portion. This is what God is 
you know, given me to deal with. And I, you know, I don't want this. I don't receive this. I don't like this. I don't care about it. And I'm not the type to want attention, you know, and, and talk about it to people. Yeah, my anxiety, yeah, my depression, blah, blah, blah. I suffered silently on purpose. And I was like, I don't, you can have this. If those of, if there are people out there who are faking being, you know, suicidal or faking depression or faking anxiety or making it bigger than what it is, I will trade you narratives. Have mine. <laughs> I don't want this. I don't want anything to do with this. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that was, that was my decision was that the thinking came from whatever, whatever it takes to make the pain stop by any means necessary. Do you think there were signs for, you know, people who may have others in their life who may be suicidal, who they may suspect is suicidal? Were there signs that you think you exhibited that people could have picked up on? Absolutely. Um, one thing about myself is that I don't have a poker face and I am a terrible, terrible liar. And so what you see is what you get. Um, I don't, I'm not good at hiding anything from anyone. <laughs> like even people ask me about like the surprise parties. I'm like, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I cannot, I, I'm just, I'm terrible. And so, um, I spent a lot of time, um, just really, really, really depressed, just laying in the bed and not wanting to get up and, you know, not wanting to, um, not wanting to talk to people and not wanting to answer the phone and, um, just coming home and wanting to sleep because, you know, sleep is like an escape almost, you know, um, at least for a little bit and just trying to avoid society, trying to avoid people because people are draining and, you know, especially when you're a Christian and you feel, you know, you have the gifts of empathy, you can feel other people's sadness, other people's anger, other people's hurt, then drinking more and you're just like, oh, God, all we ever talk about is healing and brokenness and past stuff, which is good. But it's like when you're in that mental state, you can't even deal with that, you know. Yeah. Um, and I was in a very, you know, Christian community. And so whenever people talked about their past and their testimony, I was like, I, this is too much. And so... um. I did exhibit those signs of just wanting to be away from everyone. And one of the things that I actually dove into was um, The Office. (laughs) That's my favorite TV show. And I only watched comedy. I could not watch anything that was heavy or that resembled real life. I had to watch light stuff that that would end. And I was like, it was was just, it wasn't going to linger. You know, I had to, um, I I, I I couldn't watch serious stuff. It gave me terrible anxiety. Sometimes I would, it, would, it would come into my head and have nightmares. So I would watch comedy all day long and just laugh. And that was my way of, like, trying to bring joy back into my life was laughing at, you know, TV. Um, but, of course, the signs of, like I said, laying down, sleeping, not doing anything, not even eating, um, just having this monotone, you know, voice when people talk to you, not really caring about what people have to say. Um, the world, you know, life is passing. I haven't, you know, well, my big thing was I didn't comb my hair as well. Mm. Um, I mean, I have a lot of curls, and so I just put it in a bun, and nobody noticed because it must be bun, you know, those are cute nowadays. So I just, I didn't comb my hair, and um, I didn't want to leave the bed at all. I just wanted to stay in the bed. Whatever I did, I just wanted to be in the bed, which sucks because my son was always like, can you play this one now with me? You know? Mm. And I don't have my energy on my 
It's so interesting. I think, especially when we're talking about women and what it means to be living the life as a woman, especially in Christian communities, it means having a husband and having a son and, you know, having this great career and you are so passionate about your journalism and you have a husband who I love very much and who loves you very much and an amazing son. And I'm sure a lot of people would look at you and say, you know, what is it that you possibly have to be upset or angry or sad about? Like, isn't your life perfect? What are you missing? Is that frustrating to you? Oh, absolutely. I hate, I hated people looking at my life and thinking that I had nothing to be sad. Because the thing is, it's not a choice. It's not you dwelling all day on sad stuff. It's you trying to stop the thoughts from coming into your mind. You could be sitting there watching a movie with your friends or at a party. And uh, it's like a rush of thoughts will just, negative thoughts will just come and attack you. Mm. It's not a choice. Nobody wakes up and decide. Well, I don't say nobody because some people probably do milk that. But there's a lot of people like, I mean, it, it just consumes you. You don't mm. even see it come. It slaps you in the face and you're like, oh my God, why? You know, like, and then it frustrates you. It's like this never ending cycle or rabbit hole. So it's like, it's like, um, okay. For example, um, I can wake up and all of a sudden these thoughts come to mind before I even get a chance to thank God. Like they jump you. Imagine your brain being jumped, like kicked. <laughs> I ever seen somebody jump before on a video. It's, it's your brain getting jumped by thoughts that you can't even control. And, it's, and there's so many of them that you, you're, you panic and you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, like, oh, my God. And you panic and then you just crash. You know, and it wasn't about, you know, oh, you have this, you look like this, you get to have this, your husband, you have all your kids. It's just the fact that, look, these thoughts have nothing to do with my life. They're lies from the enemy. You're worthless. You're not good enough. You, you're disgusting. Nobody loves you. Um, and then you have paranoid thoughts about people in your life. You know, I had so many crazy paranoid thoughts that my husband did not love me and that he was cheating on me and that he wanted to cheat on me and that, you know, he just, he, there was other women. Like, I mean, these obsessive thoughts, which were rooted from what? The first suicide attempt when my ex was doing all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I mean... It's like the stuff you live through, the trauma you go through, the thoughts come and tell you what's coming again. Mm-hmm. And it That's makes you so happy. I was reading recently about how our bodies don't forget things and how oh. we can hurry things in our mind. But as soon as we're triggered, our body oftentimes jumps back and tries to do the same thing that it did the last time we were triggered because even though our minds have forgotten, our bodies don't forget. So like your heart might start beating fast you might start feel like sweating and you don't understand why your body is responding a certain way in a situation. And it actually has nothing to do with what's happening now, but more to do with what happened in the past, which is crazy. Oh, absolutely. I used to get panic attacks so severe that I would start throwing up. Like my panic attack was not just, oh, I can't breathe. It was can't breathing the heart, my heart. I, I, pray, I used to hold my heart. I used to get really bad chest pain to the point where I thought I was going to have a heart attack. And I would come to God and be like, God, don't let me have a heart attack at age 25 or age 26. Like, I can't be the 20-something-year-old that had a freaking heart attack like I'm 90. Like, I was just so 
I mean, I was throwing up. I would mentally, like, I would just black out. I would crash. I would go through a breakdown, and it would take days to come back out of it and recover. Like, I would get so worked up. My heart rate would speed before I could even process what happened. Like, I mean, like you said, I would, um, I developed really bad um, anxiety when I would drive. And so I would disassociate, which is kind of like the best way I can describe it is like your mind leaves what's happening. So it's called, a, it's like a fight or flight thing. So when you, when something presents itself and you panic, um, a lot of times you have a tendency to um, others, like your, your brain will release this adrenaline and you, it's like you just, you zone out. And so every time I got in the car for years, this doesn't happen anymore because I kept facing it. But for years I got in the car and adrenaline would release. I would feel, I could feel the adrenaline release and would go down. Oh, it was in my head. And then all of a sudden I would, I would almost black out on the road. Wow. And it was very, yes, it was very scary. It was very dangerous. And I think it had something to do with me trying to, uh, you know, commit suicide the first time in the same way in the car on the freeway. And I would disassociate and I'd have to praise and worship to keep my mind in my body because I felt like I was able to, to recognize the trigger. I think for a lot of people, just recognizing that they're being triggered is not a skill that they've developed. And you might actually think that you're responding to something happening in the moment and the people around you. And this has happened to me might feel like you're being dramatic and, what you're trying to express and you don't have to, the words to express at the moment is I'm not just responding to what's happening now. I'm responding to everything that's happened to me in the past. That reminds me of what's happening now. Mm, that is absolutely what happens. That is exactly what happens. And you can't, the thing is you can't, that's a very shaky foundation to put anything on. Yeah. And that's why can't look at someone's life at their career and their beauty and their friends and their money and assume that because that is what they have, that there's no reason for them to be the way they are. Because like you said, this is stuff that happened from the past. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have, I wasn't married in the past. Like, yeah, I had a kid, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't easy. It wasn't this glamorous thing. It was like being like, I'm, I'm here with this amazing husband and this incredible son, but I'm living life like I'm still with this cheating ex. So regardless of what's happening in my now, I'm reacting to the past over and reliving it over and even applying it over and over and over again. I'm reliving being cheated on and embarrassed every day of my life with a man who did not do that to me. Mm. That's the level of anxiety and depression. Like people don't see it so far. It goes from so far back. We live, we relive stuff over and over. I remember reading something on social media that said, I'm, Thinking about something and stressing about something that hasn't even happened yet, you basically have already lived it. You've already put yourself through it. Oh, my goodness. I am the biggest, (laughs) biggest, guiltiest proponent of that. I stress myself out over every single possible scenario. And sometimes it's helpful for me. Like, I don't know if you watch This Is Us. Beth and Randall play this game called Worst Case Scenario where they talk through the worst case scenario in any given situation to help them cope with the consequences. And I feel like that can be healthy to an extent, but I don't stop here. I allow myself to feel all of the emotions of the maybe. And then by the time I finish, I'm emotionally drained and nothing's actually happened yet. Uh, <laughs> <All right. laughs> the worst is terrible. You 
already lived it over. I mean, I've lived, I'm telling you right now, I've lived through my husband cheating on me every day with everyone. It hasn't happened, but in mm-hmm. my mind, I've lived it. And I mean, I'm telling you, like, it's so real how our minds process. I mean, all these fake scenarios, all these what ifs, all these situations that don't exist, we create in our heads. We build them up. Then we have these emotional, terrible responses to them. We might as well have already gone through it. And then it's like, hello, that is not your reality. Listen, Keisha Cole had that song, (laughs) I might as well have cheated on you. I didn't understand it when I was 12. I get it now. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When you're little, you're just, uh, let me say. (laughs) I was singing like I understood every word. No, it feels, but it feels so real. Everything in your mind that happens that you allow to happen. And you have like one of the things that I've, I've had to practice daily and I still practice daily is they tell people arrest your thoughts. Like one thing the Lord showed me was that you cannot control your thoughts. They happen 24 seven stuff happens. The enemy throws stuff at you, you know, whatever it is, stuff just pops up in your head. You cannot control them, but you can control what you do with them. Mm. So when you have a thought that pops up in your head, like, you know, oh, so-and-so is doing this. You, at that moment, you can shut that down or you can re- you can sit there and nurse it. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. That's exactly what, and now you've gone and let it live. And now it's created, it's, it's literally just taken off its shoes and come set up camp in your in your head. I and think it's just- like a train. Like I, I ask myself, I, I know that this negative thought, I know that this train of thought is going to take me someplace I don't want to go. So Ugh. I'm going to hop off this train right now before I want to take that. me of depression. Let me hop. Let me get off the stop. Let me take control of what's happening in my mind. Yep. Get off. I'm coming. Off. And it's so funny because I started therapy with this amazing woman. Um, she's an incredible woman. I love her dearly. And she taught me a tool to use to help. She said that because um, she lost her son. She lost mm. her son. Um, I can't remember how, but, and she had all these, you know, with that, now with that type of stuff, your mind has the potential to travel as far as it wants, you know, in a negative way. And so she says, she told me that when she, whenever she found herself, um, feeling bad or feeling like going down that path, what if, and only, if only I could have blaming yourself, you know, whatever she says, she says, come back and her name. So come back. And so these past few, I mean, that tool that I got a few weeks ago or a few days ago, I have been using that like crazy. Come back, Nani. Come back, Nani. When the thoughts go crazy about stuff that hasn't happened, that isn't true, fearing of the future, worry, whatever, come back, Nani. Come back. Come back, Nani. You know, come back. And I have, I've had to gently remind myself to come back. It's not real. Put your life. But, but I'll tell you right now, the killer to anxiety is putting your life in God's hands. You want to ask, you want to stop feeling anxiety. You want to stop when you completely surrender your life in God's hands, your anxiety's done. That's the cure. I don't give a damn about pills. I don't give a damn about therapy is great too, but you want, you really want to stop worrying about stuff that hasn't happened and fearing stuff that hasn't happened. You put everything in God's hands. And I'm so glad you brought that up. That's so controversial, especially in the church, right? Like you mentioned, I think there are two sides. Sometimes people won't, actually acknowledge that there's something real and medical going on and they'll tell you pray it away it'll be fine and they don't understand why the depression won't leave on the other side I think we live in a culture that tells you to just self-medicate whatever that means for you 
read every self-help book possible and figure it out on your own. And a lot of times people end up feeling just as lost, if not more lost after all of the help, because they're like, well, now I've done everything I'm supposed to do and I'm still feeling lost. So there really must be no hope yet. Uh, So really learning how to do what you need to do to take care of your body physically here. Like I'm on anxiety medication, Lexapro. I love it. I've struggled with anxiety for a while, Uh, but also being grounded enough spiritually to know that medication is not a cure. Medication might make you feel better in the moment, but you have to wake up and take that pill every single day. It's not actually curing the anxiety. And like I've said, you know, on previous episodes that the only thing that really cures anxiety and depression for me is purpose and purpose comes from God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the thing. It's like you, I knew, cause for me, a lot of people ask me why I never took medication, especially as a severe, as severe as I had it, why I never took medication. And my personal conviction was that I wanted God's healing. I didn't want to get comfortable coping and I didn't want to get comfortable numbing. And that's not, I'm not saying that's everybody's story because I have my mentor, the one who's, who talked me out of suicide in that season, who heal, helped me heal and walk out that darkness. She had taken medication for anxiety and suicide and depression. And now, and she, and then the Lord delivered her from it, but she had been on it for like some years. So, and this person coached me out, you know what I mean? So everybody's story is different. And because our situations are different, because our triggers and experiences are different, our, our paths to healing are going to be different and that's okay. Absolutely. God will use medication. God will use medication. God will use a doctor. God will use a nurse. God will use whatever he needs to use. And that's the part. And that's the thing I want people to understand that if you're going to be on medication, get healing. Don't, don't, don't be okay with just, medication because what's going to happen is, and this is, but this is me for everything. I've never been comfortable with having a dependency on anything physical, tangible besides God. And so I never wanted to be a person where I could only thrive and live and function if I had medication, because if I ran out, that meant I was screwed. And I didn't want to be in that position of, I need this. That was again, my own personal belief. So my best advice, whatever you're going to be on medication, you want to exercise, drink water, eat fruit, you know, meditate, we read books, whatever people say, fine, but seek healing because it's possible. You can heal from trauma. You can heal from bad anxiety. You can, I truly, with everything, every ounce of me believe you can heal from it, that you don't have to just live life stuck with, this is how my man, this is how my mind it. you know, this is my mind every day. This is going to set somebody free because so often there are things that we just assume that will always be there, you know, that are never going to change situations that could never be better. And I think a lot of people assume I'm always going to be anxious. I'm always going to be depressed, which as you mentioned earlier is the fastest train to suicide. If you think that the pain, the feeling is never going to end, but to actually believe that healing is possible, that's different. Oh, girl, I, I will tell you right now, if the Bible says, and my thing has always been, if the Bible said he has given you a sound mind, if he, if he promised you a sound mind, there's a promise there somewhere. I don't, the journey looks however it looks to anybody, but if it's possible, then there's got to be a way to get it. 
You know what I mean? I, you cannot look, you can't be a Christian and believe and have faith for your career and have faith for other people and have faith to be married and have faith. But then when it comes to healing, you're like, Ooh, well, this is, you know, Paul had, you know, a little thorn and it's or Peter, whatever it was, whatever, like, and then you think that this is what God has for me. Like I, and I said to my friend when I was talking to her, I said, I will spend the rest of my life chasing the healing that God has promised me. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if that road looks disgusting and dark and I have to go to some dark levels. I truly believe even in how far I've gone to this all the way up to the point of suicide, I still believe that there's healing there. Whether I reach it or not, back then, I know I'm going to reach it, but back then, even though I thought I didn't think I would, I knew it was still there. I just gave up. But it's always there. It's always there. And if I and if I take this road to it and I don't make it, know that it's still there. I just I I tapped out. That was the that was the belief that kept me wanting to be healed was that it's there. It's there. I believe in more than I believe that the sky is blue or that clouds exist. I believe that there is healing. There's healing. So do whatever you got to do. Yes, you know, eat your fruit, whatever, mind your business, read all the memes on, you know, whatever, internet. But Yeah, all the frosting, but, all that stuff is cool, too. <laughs> right. The memes are cool. The meme is a frosting, but you still got to make the cake. You got to put in the work and say to yourself, yeah, I may be on medication, but this isn't my life story. I'm going to be successful. I mean, you see all these celebrities. Oh, check out so-and-so. They're so successful, but they're battling with depression. No. No, I'm not going to be successful with depression. I'm not going to be successful with anxiety. We're going to beat this. We're defeating this in Jesus' name. Like, I refuse to call to claim. I don't even. It's so funny. You'll never hear me say my anxiety or my depression. You will never hear me claim it. And I told people, stop claiming stuff you don't want. Stop taking ownership over stuff you don't want. Oh, my depression won't let me leave the house. My anxiety keeps me up at night. Are you out your mind? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> so. We've talked about people who may be struggling with severe anxiety or depression or suicidal thoughts. Do you have advice for people who may be supporting someone who is dealing with anxiety, depression, and overcoming suicidal thoughts? I know that you can't speak for everyone, but in your experience, are there any tips that you can give? Oh, I wish my husband was here to answer this. Um, because he had no idea that I was battling this when we got married and well, a little bit when we got, when we got married, he kind of knew, but I watched him and took notes on how he handled it. And one thing is, um, when you got to gauge, you definitely have to gauge who it is. If you guys don't have a close enough relationship where you can just straight up ask, don't, (laughs) just don't, don't try and be, you know, um, I would say if you see a very self-destructive behavior, intervene immediately. I don't give a damn about their personal business. I don't give a damn about how they might feel that somebody's life on the line. Mm-hmm. Um, you see somebody cutting themselves. You see somebody talking about it a lot, posting stuff on Facebook. Intervene how, I mean, if you have to call, a, you know, call their mom, you have to call the police. Call, I mean, I don't know who you can call, but you've you got to intervene aggressively. Because mm-hmm. you don't, like you said, you don't want to, oh, well, we had, you know, there was kind of symptoms, but nobody really, like, if it was my life, I'm grateful that my husband found me. I don't know how he found me. I blocked him. Like I said, I blocked him. I turned off my notification. There would have been no way for him to know where I was at. He found me. He aggressively went after me. And I'm, I'm so grateful that he did that. 
I wasn't sitting here. You were, you were in my business, you know? So if it, if it looks like something severe, oh, go after them and deal with the consequences of them not liking you later. But it's, it's a small price to pay for a life save. Um, I would also say that if somebody is down, don't, and you're, it's a friend, don't try not to come to them with all of your worries. Um, and your problems and your day and your, oh my God, Susie at the bank. She just like really come to them and, and just like, how are you feeling today? And I, one, one question I asked my, I have a, a cousin who goes through in and out of depression. I asked her, how are you, how did, how was your day? How are you feeling in the daytime? And she'll tell me, oh yeah, I'm good, you know, work, blah, blah, blah. And I say, how do you feel at night? And that's a completely different answer. Mm-hmm. Because night is when stuff starts to happen. The thoughts start to run. You're by yourself. It settles in and you're sitting there wondering like, oh my God. You know, I'm here by myself, whatever. So um, just be really mindful of how you ask, what kind of questions. And when they answer you, believe them. Mm. If they say, I'm not doing well, then you, you know, what can I do? Is there anything I can do to help you? Can I, sometimes, honestly, I used to have nap dates with my friends when they would just come home and come over and nap. And that meant the world to me. You know, you don't have to try and, come on, let's get out of the bed. Let's take you on. You don't, you don't want to, it's not like, oh, I need a distraction. You just need someone to talk to and then offer, you know, therapy or some sort of, you know, if you know someone who's, um, you know, who's good or, or at talking or somebody who's good at listening or somebody who's good at, you know, offer them to be in those types of, if you're going to, if you're going to get your friend out of bed, put them in a, in a fruitful environment. Don't take me to the movies, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like I'm not even going to be able to focus. Like if I'm going through something bring me to your church or bring me to a strong group of people, you know, get me in, in something that could build me up. Like you just got to be really mindful that you're not pushing on pushing. And, and for God's sakes, don't say anything about you shouldn't be happy. You should be happy right now. You got this and this going for yourself. Come on, you get up, snap out of it. It used to drive me crazy when people would just be like, just get over it. Just I used to want to fight. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I will fight you. Don't tell me to get over it. It's not a choice. Mental illness is not, nobody wants to lay in bed all day miserable while their life passes them by. Nobody wants to do that. Some people allow it, maybe. Some people don't fight, but nobody wakes up and says, this is me today. You know what I mean? Like, you can't treat it like it's a choice. All you can do is be there for people and don't overexert yourself as well. Don't feel like you need to save someone in terms of, you know, like don't, don't, don't put that weight on you. Be helpful and be nurturing and loving and supportive and caring and sensitive to what they might need. But don't put the weight of their suicide or their depression or their anxiety or their suicidal thoughts. Don't put that on you as your responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's where the prayer comes in. Pray with them. That's where covering them. That's where, you know, looking around and seeing what we can do. Because at the end of the day, it's not, it's, it's, it's not your fight. And you can only do so much as a, a friend or as a boyfriend or girlfriend or mom or dad, whatever it is, sister, brother, you don't want to carry that weight because when, you know, things don't work out or something happens or it, they don't get better when you want them to, you, you take on, now you're walking around depressed and, you know, sad and upset and you don't know why. So love them, but love them from a healthy place and a place that you know, you're not God, you know, don't try and be the savior. So good that, man, thank you for that advice. Um, Me being your friend, how can I support you in your path? Um, Definitely what works for me is um, when people reach out and 
they ask me, how are you feeling? That question means a lot. Not, not W-Y-D, you know, what you're doing. <laughs> That's fun sometimes. But if someone says, how are you feeling today? Like I said, I'm very transparent. I'm very like, oh, I'm okay. You know, I'm coming, I'm kind of down today. You know, that really, really helps. Um, and then also, um, like, when people want to meet up and talk, um, I'm a very relational person. And so I don't, um, like, texting and phone calls are fine. But sometimes when you're with your, you know, when you're with people, when you're physically with friends, when they can hug you, when they can touch you, when you can hold hands and pray, when you can, when you, they see you, when they look you in your eyes, it makes those moments of checking in on someone a little bit more deeper, mm. you know? And so, um, I've never been personally, I've, anytime I've been depressed, um, there has been seasons when I have pushed people away. Like I just don't, I always won't answer your phone calls or texts, but the ones who are aggressive with it usually can get my attention or usually can get my, um, you know, get me up out of bed or get me. It's, it's just being persistent. Like I'm coming over or come on, I got, you know, coffee or, Hey, I'm, I'm down the street. Let's go here. Get up, get dressed. You know, stuff like that really helps you. Like it catches you off guard, but that's a good thing. You know? <laughs> no, I think that's so great. Um, and you started this, podcast by saying you had a heavy heart so after this episode we're gonna talk because we're gonna get some coffee we're gonna meet up you live too close not to meet up um (laughs) i know i love you so much and i'm so thankful that you were willing to kind of get on and be vulnerable my prayer is that people that are struggling with suicide and feel like they might not have anybody or suicidal thoughts and feel like they don't have anybody to talk to uh, will feel like they have a friend in you will maybe feel seen and understood and heard. So, you know, I'm, I'm just really grateful that you were willing to share your experience. And I want to let people know as well, if you are struggling with suicidal thoughts and it, it feels severe and immediate, you know, I'm not a licensed professional. Melani is just sharing her experiences, but please call 911 Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. I have the number 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. Reach out, get help. You're not alone in this. You don't have to be alone. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel embarrassed. Melani is literally one one of the most um, intelligent, caring, thoughtful, beautiful people with the most incredible spirit. And she's here talking about her experience. Um, it doesn't make you weird. doesn't make you a loser. You're just human. We're all just human. Absolutely. And that suicide prevention line does work. Most of the people who are on the line have suffered from suicidal thoughts or depression. And they're, I want to say most, if not all, are actually volunteers. Mm-hmm. And this is their way of actually giving back um, to those who also deal with it. Uh, these people have also, a lot of them have overcome. And that goes back to the fact that y- you, there's healing. There's healing. Doesn't care how, I don't care how bad it gets, how it looks, how, how scary the thoughts are, how dark they might be. They're so dark and sinister. You, they make you feel ashamed. There's healing. And all of it, there's healing. Thank you everyone for listening. And we will be back next week.